0: Sounds like you're enjoying that, Tony. (laughs) Please open back your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Our text today will be Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. The title of our sermon this morning is Faith Under Fire. Faith under fire. It's been said many times before that being a Christian can feel like being an alien here on earth. As we read our Bibles and spend time in prayer, as we enjoy a Christian fellowship, we begin to get a sense that this world is not our home. Opposed christian culture that is often at war with a biblical worldview in so many ways. A world where truth and facts are no longer treated as such and instead celebrated as subjective. The world says, doesn't it, that you can be whatever and whoever you came to be and good for you. A world where often good is treated as evil and evil is celebrated as good. And if you need any evidence for this, try standing up for the rights of an unborn baby in the womb. It was only recently that I was speaking with a Christian friend that was talking about how quickly things seem to have changed. And they said that sometimes it feels like that they've been kidnapped and brought into a strange place that they no longer recognize. And for Daniel and his friends, that is exactly what happened The context of our passage this morning, these teenage boys, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were probably only 14 or 15 years old, ripped away from their families in Judah and then deported to Babylon, where they were brainwashed into the Babylonian culture for the purpose of serving in the king's palace. Chapter 1, verse 4. And as per the king's orders, the Babylonian army started to cherry-pick what they deemed to be the cream of the crop. The young men that had potential, youths who showed no defect, good in appearance, showing wisdom and discernment. They, They wanted the talented teenage boys full of potential, but they did not want their god As Daniel and his friends arrive in Babylon, this foreign land with foreign false gods, they waste no time in assimilating him and his friends into this new pagan way of living. The plan, the plan was to give them new names, new food and a whole new worldview. You may remember Daniel's name given at birth means God is my judge. And it seems that the Babylonians were not so keen on that idea. So his name, along with his friends' names, were changed. But the truth behind it was not. God is their judge. And God is our judge. Assimilation has a track record of being effective. The more that you bring someone into the new culture, the quicker that they forget the land and the culture that they left behind. This, this is the world's version of discipleship. Only too willing to pollute the young or for those that know no better. And when you consider the, the pressures that are against the church today in 2022, it begins to all sound a little bit familiar, doesn't it? And with this in mind, let's turn to the first verse of our text this morning, chapter three, verse one. king nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six six cubits he set it up on the plain of jura in the province of babylon so here here we we have the king nebuchadnezzar who is the world's superpower way more powerful than anyone else doing something very interesting If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, you'll remember that in chapter 2, he, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream that he demands his people to interpret. Nebuchadnezzar, just like the president of the United States today, he'd have had a, a division set up to deal with all eventualities. In America, or even here in the UK, if they have some sort of situation occur, the president or prime minister would have a department set up ready to deal with it. In the same way, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that has troubled him, so he he calls for the dream interpretation department. This would have been within the scope of works for the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. All of them on the payroll and only a click of the fingers away. But wise to the fact that these people may falsely interpret the dream by just making something up. He refuses to tell them what his dream was and instead demands that they were not only to interpret the dream but they were to also tell him what his dream was. Ah that's not so easy. To help get his workforce motivated, he threatens them with being torn limb from limb and then promises to flatten their homes if they fail to deliver the goods. Chapter 2, verse 5. The Chaldeans then tell the furious king that there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand except God, verse 11. So this, this then sets the stage for Daniel who hears of the furious king's threats. Here, he steps forward to tell the king's captain that he will indeed show the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel then goes home to his friends. He seeks God's mercy through prayer. And then that evening, the dream and its interpretation is indeed revealed to Daniel in a vision. And as clear as day Daniel can see that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that represented both his kingdom and the kingdoms to come. This was all symbolized by a huge monument made up of different materials, each one representing a different kingdom. In chapter 2, verse 32, we find out that this the head of this image was of fine gold, his chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. This image that Nebuchadnezzar had just dreamt about sounds suspiciously similar to the image that he just made, right? Similar, but not the same. Nebuchadnezzar's new image is all gold. The image in his dream was made of fine gold, silver, bronze, iron and clay. So so why the change? Well, Daniel goes on to interpret the dream from verse 37 in chapter 2. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell. The children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 39, but another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And then yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all of the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. So they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together. Just as iron does not mix with clay, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. So, Nebuchadnezzar clearly enjoyed the first part of the interpretation which symbolized his Babylonian empire, but not the parts that tell of kingdoms that shall follow this powerful king. And nebuchadnezzar he he knows that this is from god our sovereign god in control of all things we can see that in verse 45 so what does he do what does he do after hearing what this dream means just three verses later back into our passage this morning back into chapter 3 verse 1 king nebuchadnezzar made an image entirely of gold he makes his whole image all gold the material that speaks of his reign in the dream. This prideful king, rather than humble himself, rises up with confidence in his own false sense of sovereignty, and he makes an image representing his kingdom, all gold. This is his statement. He's saying, My kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, will reign forever. And this was no small undertaking. This image that he built was huge. Chapter three, verse one. Its height was sixty cubits. That's about ninety foot high. Its breadth six cubits. That's about nine foot wide. Can you see what Nebuchadnezzar's doing here? This is a power play. This image is all gold. The material used to describe his kingdom is all about him. Aims. The location of this huge image should not be lost on us also. Can you remember another tower that was built in Babylon? Built by prideful men trying to make a name for themselves. Yes. This has echoes of the Tower of Babel, doesn't it? He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Now, I don't know what's in the water in Babylon, but it was certainly churning out some pretty prideful rulers. Chapter 3, verse 2 Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here we have it, it's the grand reveal. You can just see it, can't you? Imagine thinking the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Imagine the opening of a brand new supermarket somewhere. The oversized scissors ready to cut the ribbon. The mayor, all of the important local people invited, dressed up, imagine that, but amped up by a thousand the prefects, the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, anybody and everybody, including Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ordered to be present for the dedication of the image. And here they all are, standing in anticipation, waiting for the grand reveal. Verse 4, And the herald proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. End. whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Nebuchadnezzar really knows how to motivate someone, doesn't he? He's not confident enough in the image that people will want to bow down and worship it. He adds a little extra grease to the transaction. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast down into a burning fiery furnace. And it's likely that those in attendance didn't have to use their imaginations too much to consider what a burning furnace would look like. They would have been dotted around everywhere. These were used to make the bricks and to melt the materials that were used to create the image. As the herald called out his threat, it's possible that he could have been close enough to point to one. Historians and archaeologists have found the remains of the type of furnace used at this time. Imagine a a stone railway tunnel but with a brick back With an uncontrollable fire. Health and safety completely out the window. And it wasn't uncommon for people to catch fire as they were working nearby. And then in verse 7. Therefore as soon as all the people heard the sound of the music. Everyone fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All but three young men that is. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, you've made a decree that every man who appears, who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, of the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music should fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of a province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These men, O king, they paid no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, as intimidating and as real as the threat was, these three boys knew that they were not to bow and worship false gods. They knew who their god was. They trusted their God and God was right there with them, strengthening their faith in their time of need. These boys, despite the three years of Chaldean education, despite the assimilation, these boys knew their God. Maybe Leviticus chapter 26 verse 1 was in their mind. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or a pillar. And you shall now not set up a a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. These boys, they knew that this was wrong and they were unwilling to compromise. They were unwilling to bow down to a demand that is at war with God's word and not bowing down and compromising. It isn't just something that happens in the moment. A brave moment where the horn blows and all of a sudden some courage kicks in. This is a decision that is planned in advance. Lines are marked in the sand. A decision not to compromise has been made. Lines that are based on the unwavering truths of scripture. A faith that is exercised and tested, unshakable conviction in the word of God, and a faith in knowing that as Christians, we do not fear those that can only kill the body, but rather fear our God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. And we see this play out, don't we? This faith exercised in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Daniel is offered food and wine straight from the king's table. And here we see Daniel already set in his heart that he would not defile himself with that food. Clear lines, no compromise, decision already made. And this takes us to the first application point. This morning we all know that our faith will be tested it's coming many of you will have had your faith tested many times before but i am sure that we can all agree that the momentum of the current worldview here in the uk is heading towards a head-on collision with our biblical world view so let me ask you this morning Do we know our Bibles well enough to know what God wants from us? How he wants us to respond? What pleases him? Not only to know our Bibles in our heads, but are they in our hearts? Are we living out our faith every day? Are we applying what we know to be true? Are we on a daily basis putting on the whole armour of God as written about by Paul to the Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. We may think of the the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. and great was the fall of it church we do not start preparing for the storm when it has already started to rain now is the time for us to consider these things to pray to study and to prepare ourselves in being found faithful that's exactly what these boys in our text did today Can you imagine the pressure to bow down? It's not only the fiery furnace. Can you imagine the peer pressure? Thousands of people primed and ready to bow as soon as the first note of that music plays. All of the officials, the important people there, their friends standing there in anticipation, just waiting to drop. And maybe we can identify with this type of pressure in our lives it can be so hard, can't it? Well, everyone else is doing it. Maybe we've found ourselves compromised over the things that entertain us. Watching things on TV or the internet that we know other people are watching, even though you know that it's not good for our spiritual well-being. Maybe it's the music that we're listening to, or the way in which we are choosing to spend our time. Maybe it's at work or with certain groups of friends. Are you being encouraged to affirm and celebrate things that are at odds with the Christian faith? Do you feel the pressure to be weak on the exclusivity of Christ? Or do you feel a pressure to deny him altogether? I wonder how Simon Peter would have answered that question. Let me ask you this morning, where are the stress points in your life? Where are you being challenged to compromise? You may at times see some other Christians compromise and maybe that makes it far too easy for our sinful hearts to turn a blind eye because if they're doing it. But here in our text this morning, despite all of that peer pressure, the Bible shows us these three young men in a sea of peer pressure, unwell. Willing to bend. And then verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? To hear nebuchadnezzar in his mind is giving these boys one last chance we can imagine him can't we beetroot red veins popping out of his neck staring them straight in the eyes and he asks who is this god who will deliver you out of my hands well he's certainly about to find out And verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Ah, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, but he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you Have set up. This, this is the faith, the fruit of a faith that has eyes on eternity. Paul echoes this in his letter to the Romans. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Romans chapter 14, verse 8. And it's worth noting here. Do you notice the lack of presumption in the boy's attitude? They are saying, we believe and we know that our God is sovereign and he is in control of all things. And if if it is his will, he can easily deliver us from your hand, Nebuchadnezzar. But if that is not his will... Praise the Lord and may God's will be done. This would be a helpful case study for those caught up in the new apostolic reformation, the NAR, to understand that when we pray, we do not simply speak things into existence. It's become a commonplace in certain denominations to presume on God's will and to pray prayers in a name it and claim it type of way. But we, as Christians, submit to God's will not the other way round. And as we draw to a close this morning, for those that are in Christ, there is an image that God wants us to conform to. And that is the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, his Son. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, Romans chapter 8 verse 29. Christians. Christians through the process of sanctification after being born again are to grow more and more like Christ and not like the images that the Nebuchadnezzars of this world set up along with their media, their music, their culture and everything else that the world wants to push on us. This means that Every day we are to become more and more like Jesus. That's the image that God wants us to be conformed to. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Did you hear that? Do not be conformed to this world, brothers and sisters the world is trying to actively disciple you. It's why discipleship is so important in the church because if we do not have the word of God disciple us, then the world will. Mums and dads, as we close, let me urge you, have your Bible open every night. Read God's word together, pray together. Lead your children to build their house on the rock and not the sand. Otherwise, TikTok will. Husbands and wives, get up early. Read the word together, pray together, wash one another in the word. If you're currently on your own, find someone in the the church family where you can meet up regularly. Share a coffee together, pray together, open up God's word together. A wise man once told me that a, a healthy Christian would benefit from being in two types of discipleship relationships. One with a a Christian who is more experienced than them and one with a Christian who is not as experienced. One of the things that breaks my heart the most is when I speak with someone that has been going to a church for years, sometimes decades, and they have not got a clue about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the only way to be saved from the just penalty of our sin is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that as sinners we need to repent and be born again by trusting Christ. May the Lord protect our church from ever becoming such a place and instead by his grace be used by him each and every one of us to share this good news with those that are hopelessly lost in their sin and only too happy to bow down to the Nebuchadnezzars of this world. End for us to be firm, to stand firm until the end. Let's pray.